All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, get them out. We're going to get into the Word. We uh, started a new series last week. I don't know how long we'll be in it. We'll be in it for a few weeks. Um, called Experiencing the Presence of Jesus. How do we experience the presence of the Lord daily in our lives? How can we maintain that sense of constant loving connection with him? I don't know about you, but I don't want to go one day without sensing his presence. I don't want to go one day without hearing his voice. Um, So I'm going to do some review and some more, but um, last week we talked about the fact that your newborn spirit, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, God worked a miracle. There's a new creation on the inside of you, a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. And you were once dead to God, but now you're alive to God. Where? In your spirit, man. He did a brand new work in you. And the new spirit that you have in Christ is one nature, the exact nature as the Lord's spirit. They speak the same language. They have the same culture. They have the same nature. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6.17 um, again, I don't often use the Passion Translation, but I used this last week because this is actually a very good translation of 1 Corinthians 6.17. It says this, The one who joins himself to the Lord is mingled into one spirit with him. It's kind of like if you could have a picture of his spirit and your spirit, it's like they're mingled together. Where does, where does your spirit end and his begin? I don't know. They're mingled together. Um, what an amazing picture of intimacy that you and I have with the Lord. We've been woven together with him. We've been welded together with him. But here's the question we asked last week. The question was this. If this is the newborn reality that we have in Jesus, if this is our new creation in Christ Jesus, why are there days or seasons where we just don't seem to discern him and feel him and understand his presence? Why is that? One key I gave last week is is this, and we'll build upon this a little bit more today. One key was that we have not died to our old selfish sin nature. Now, your, your sin nature was crucified with Jesus, but we as Christians, we have to identify with that new nature, amen? We have to take that new nature on. That is the real you, by the way. Your, new, your identity isn't an old sinner. That was who you are. Now you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus However, that's not always, that always, uh, it's, it's, it's harder done than said many times. What do we have to do? We have to crucify the old nature. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. Our spirit is shrouded in our soul, our mind, will, and emotions. And our soul, our body is wrapped around our soul. And if we can't get past that soulish, unrenewed mind, that unrenewed, sinful, um, old nature, the, the spirit nature that you have won't manifest in your life. And so Luke 9, 23 through 24, Jesus said this. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Yes. Now, I used to kind of be under the, the, the uh, impression that, you know, we deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus. And that was a one-time thing. But then this translation, or Luke 9, it just throws a wrench in the whole deal. That's the word daily right there. How many? Everyone say daily. 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 And it's in the Greek too. It means daily. So we have to uh, deny ourselves daily. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. Okay? When we first came to the Lord, what did we do? We laid down our life. We laid down our ways. And we took up his ways. 
But here's the deal. We also walk in the Lord and we grow in the Lord by daily making choices to follow him. Okay. We have to take up our cross and deny ourselves. Um, and people, I don't know why, I just don't hear many preachers talking about this anymore. But it's pretty central to the Christian life, is following Jesus. And that involves a cross. And a cross involves pain and discomfort in many cases, okay? Um, we call it this, we're living the crucified life. Romans uh, 12.1, I'm gonna, this isn't my notes, but I'll read it real quick here. It says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Okay? So we're not talking about literally dying. We're talking about laying down our will for his will. Okay? Um, So what I want to say, though, is that this journey, yes, it's a cross. Yes, crosses involve pain and discomfort and those kind of things, obviously. But I want to say that it is so totally worth it. It's so totally worth it to the, the other side of the, of the same coin. One side of the coin is the crucified life. The other side of that same coin is resurrected power and the resurrected life. And that's what God has for you. That's what he has destined you for. So you want this. Um, now, Jesus had a motivation going to the cross. How many know Jesus had a motivation? It says in uh, Hebrews 12, 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay, what was the joy set before him? That joy was you. That joy was me. That joy was restoring humanity back to relationship with the Father. This is why he went through that. So he, he had a, a huge motivation to endure the suffering on the cross. It was our redemption. It was our reconciliation. It's a picture of how much God loves you. You want to know how much God loves you? Sometimes people are like, I just don't know if God loves me anymore. Look at the cross. Okay, that's how much he loves you. To the tune of the death of his son on the cross is how much he loves you. <clears throat> so, Jesus endured the cross. Now, I want to say that it's the same with you and me. For the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. But listen, why would we deny ourselves, take up our cross to follow Jesus? Well, listen, there's a joy set before you to endure the cross, okay? The other side of the crucified life is the resurrected life. That is the joy that's set before us and that life flow of God coming through us. Okay, now before I continue with this, I want to just take a pause and I want to say what the crucified life is not. Because some people will get the wrong idea. Number one, the crucified life is not religiosity. It's not this endless hamster wheel of do, being a do-gooder in order to gain God's love and approval and his acceptance. Okay? It's not religiosity. It's not some false humility like constantly asking for forgiveness and loathing in your past mistakes. Listen, Jesus wanted, he came to set you free from your past mistakes. You're not doing him any service by like staying in this loathing self you know, uh, thing. Okay. He wants to set you free from your past that we come boldly before the throne of grace and knowing that we're loved. Um, it's not penance. Penance is voluntary self punishment inflicted on the out as an outward expression of having repented for done, uh, doing wrong. Okay. It's not any of that. Um, and uh, I was thinking about this, uh, this week, um, I was watching YouTube and there's a short documentary on YouTube 
And the title of the, the video really captured my attention. Um, it was the mountain that's never been climbed or the mountain that never will be climbed, something like that. And I was like, well, that's interesting because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a hiker. I'm a mountain climber. And so I'm thinking, what could be a mountain that wasn't climbed? Well, it turns out the story is it's actually a very difficult mountain to climb, but that's not why no one's ever climbed it. Um, it's in the Himalayas in Nepal. Um, but the reason why no one's ever climbed it is because Buddhists consider it to be a holy mountain, and therefore no one goes up on this mountain. But what they, they do is they circumvent this mountain. They'll do this journey around the mountain. It'll take, uh, it'll take several days to, to get around, and they camp out around it because they consider it to be this holy thing. Well, towards the end of the video, there was this, there was this guy who decided to do this journey. He's a Buddhist, and every step he took, he would stop and fully prostrate himself on the ground and then stand up and do this and take another step and fully prostrate himself on the ground. And it was taking him weeks and weeks to circumvent this entire mountain. Okay, listen, this is not a picture of what Christianity is like. We don't have, the, we don't have to do this endless penance and endless um, trying to win God's approval or his love. Listen, you're already loved. You're already valued. You're already accepted. You can come before him, okay? So none of that, that's not what the crucified life is. So what is it? Okay. Okay. I also want to say this. It's also not embracing sickness. Okay. A sickness is not a tool of God. It's a tool of the enemy. Jesus said, uh, or I think it was Peter, um, said in Acts 10, 38, that uh, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, and he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Okay. So healing is a tool of God. It's not embracing sickness. That's not a tool of God's either. Okay. Now it so happens that um, all things do work together for good to those who love God and are calling according to his purpose. And so it's possible to go through a season like that and, and get closer to God and, and whatever. But that's not because God said, I'm going to make you sick to teach you a lesson. That's not how many parents would do that to their kids. Okay. That's not a tactic of the Lord. Okay. So what is it? If it's not religiosity, it's not penance, it's not these things. What is it? Luke 9.23, I think this kind of hits the nail on the head. Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Give up your own way. That essentially is the crucified life. I have my way, God has his way, I'm going to give it my way and follow his way. Okay, That's the simplest way I think I can put it. Proverbs 14.12 says, there is a way... That seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. Okay? What did Frank Sinatra say? Old Frank Sinatra. I did it my way, right? Listen, unfortunately, hell is full of people who were, did it their way. Okay? But if we want God's way, we have to do it his way. Okay? This means my ideas about forgiveness are submitted to him. My ideas about how to have a good marriage are submitted to him. My desires are submitted to him. My money is submitted to him. My time is submitted to him. My ideas about sexuality, what it is and is not, is submitted to him. Amen? Okay? We're, if you want to follow Jesus, taking up your cross to follow him looks like taking up his way and laying down your way. But the cost 
is nothing compared to the benefit. The other side of that cost is the resurrected life, God flowing through you. Now, here's the hang up. Remember when Jesus, before his ministry, he was baptized and then he went into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And he was tempted by the devil. There was three temptations that were offered to him. And essentially... Um, we could go through each of those and talk about them, but essentially what the, what the enemy was offering Jesus was a shortcut to get what he came for. Jesus came to redeem humanity and to retake the title deed of the earth. Satan takes him up on this mountain and says, all these kingdoms I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus said, away from me, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone. Okay, essentially Satan is offering Jesus a shortcut to what Jesus came for because Satan knew that if Jesus goes to the cross, he would be completely disarmed forever. But what I want to say is this same temptation exists with you and me. Satan will offer any number of shortcuts so that you won't endure the blood, sweat, and tears of doing it his way. Perhaps the enemy of your soul cannot get you to deny your faith, but he will tempt you with a crossless lifestyle. Christians are tempted by a crossless lifestyle lifestyle. I'll just receive the good things of God and never have to change, right? No. Don't fall for a crossless lifestyle. Why? Because it's a powerless lifestyle. And you don't want to live a powerless lifestyle. You want to have power in the Lord. The devil isn't very afraid of professing Christians, but he is terrified of the believer who has followed Jesus and sacrificed him or herself on the altar of of obedience. Okay, that's that living sacrifice. This person is dangerous to the powers of darkness. This person is going to mess with with the kingdom of darkness and bring the kingdom of light, okay? The enemy of your soul, he will get you to settle for good at the expense of God's best any day of the week. Any day of the week. But God's best for you is to walk in obedience and to do things his way. How does he say to do it? Okay, and it is so that we will have the life of God flowing through us. Um, I have a video to help me illustrate this point, so go ahead and roll that video. This is gold, Mr. Bond. All my life I've been in love with its color, its brilliance. Divine heaviness. I welcome any enterprise that will increase my stock, which is considerable. I think you've made your point, Goldfinger. Thank you for the demonstration. Choose your next witticism carefully, Mr. Bond. It may be your last. The purpose of our two previous encounters is now very clear to me. I do not intend to be distracted by another. Good night, Mr. Bond. Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. There you go. That's the Christian life. So many Christians are like, God, what do you want me? Do you expect me to talk? Do you want me to? Listen, your mouth gets you in more trouble than anything else, okay? No, he expects you to die, okay? God, do you want me to talk? Do you want me to blog? Do you want me to share Christian things on social media? Be a social justice warrior? No. 
He wants you to die. Why? Because a, a Christian who has denied themselves, taken up the cross and followed Jesus, is way more dangerous to the world than a Christian who just does a bunch of talking, okay? <clears throat> there isn't a scripture in the Bible that tells us to resist the flesh. Okay, the Bible says resist the, enemy, resist the devil and he will what? Resist the enemy and he will flee from you. Okay, we have that promise. But the Bible doesn't say to resist the flesh. The Bible says to crucify the flesh. Crucify the old nature. All right? Welcome to Christianity. (laughs) Who wants to sign up? Okay, how do we crucify the flesh? I want to give a little more meat on the bone today. How do we do it? How How do we do this? I want to talk for the next few minutes about the power of waiting on the Lord. The title of my message today is called Hurry Up and Wait. Everyone say, hurry up and wait. Okay, we need to wait on the Lord. What do we want? We want to be so strong in the Lord that our spirit man outshines and overpowers the things and the temptations of the flesh. A carnal Christian is a Christian who has not crucified the flesh. And one of the only ways I know to do this, to crucify the flesh, is to wait on the Lord. Isaiah 40, 29 and 31, it says this, He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. How many need that? How many need increased strength? Strength to overcome temptation, strength to go throughout your day. Even youths shall faint and be weary, but, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Okay? Those who wait on the Lord have renewed strength. Okay, how can we crucify the flesh and have victory over it? Waiting on the Lord. In an age of instant everything, we have lost the art of just simply waiting on the Lord. We've lost this art because we're so busy and we're so distracted we go all day with something going into our ears and something going into our eyes. Listen, if you haven't just sat in a quiet room with nothing for a long time, you'll know that you haven't done that if you just do it and you feel totally uncomfortable. Like, I need to be doing, where's my phone? Where's my phone? Okay, I need to be doing something. I need to be listening to something. I need to be putting something in. Okay, the art of just waiting on the Lord quietly is where it's at. Okay, where, where do you do this? When do you do this? You do this in your quiet time. Everyone say quiet time. Okay. We all need quiet times every day. The Hebrew language is a pictorial language. And the picture that we get from the word wait here in Hebrews, uh, Isaiah 40, 31, is a picture of someone mending a rope. The word wait means to bind together by twisting. Okay, that's, that's, the, that's the Hebrew picture we have, binding together by twisting, um, to tarry, to wait on the Lord. When we wait on the Lord, he gives us strength in our inner man. I'll go ahead and put up that picture. Okay, when we come up, how many know that life will do this to you, the top rope? Life will do that to you. Like, it will happen. Why? Because life's hard. Life is, like, does anyone have an easy life? I mean, relative to a lot of people around the world, we, we probably do have easy lives. But life will do this to us regardless, right? What do we have to do? We have to come before the Lord and allow him to 
weave us back together and to give us strength in our inner man. That's, that's what happens. You go from that top rope to that bottom rope by simply waiting on the Lord. He's renewing your strength. Okay. Um, how, many, uh, how many know who Pastor John Stalker is? Yeah. He's a pastor that hired... He's a pastor that hired my wife and I 13 years ago to do um, college ministry. And uh, we, we occasionally would have lunch with them. And uh, I, I like to ask him questions. And so a few years ago, we were having lunch with him. And I said, Pastor, what do you do? What do you do in your quiet time? Like, how much time do you re- spend reading the word and in worshiping and praying? Like, how many, you know, how, how long is your quiet time? And how many minutes do you spend doing each, you know, Christian discipline element in there? And he said something that really helped me. You guys want to know what it is? This is what he said. He said, in my quiet time, I'm quiet. (laughs) Okay, write that down. Write that down. He said, how can I hear his voice if I'm doing all the talking? When is he supposed to talk? How am I supposed to hear his voice? So he would just sit silently before the Lord, meditating on the Lord, and then the Lord would speak, preach on this. Do this with the church. Here's what you need to do. The Lord would just drop these things in his heart. Okay? And yes, of course, we should read and study the word. And of course, we should pray. You know, the Bible says to make our requests before the Lord. But let me ask a question. Do you have part of that, at least, where you're just quiet before him? Okay? Quiet before him. Abraham Lincoln is attributed uh, to saying this. If I had an hour to chop down a tree, I would spend the first 45 minutes sharpening my axe. Okay? This is what it's like when we have our quiet times. God sharpens us, he strengthens us, and he gives us strategy for the day ahead of us. Okay? And he gives you the ability to walk in your new identity, your new nature, and to crucify the old nature. Okay? When we take the time to get synchronized with the Lord, it pays serious dividends throughout the whole day. Now, I... If you might have your quiet time in the middle of the day, you might have it at the end of the day. I used to be um, a night quiet time person. I've actually transitioned more to a morning uh, quiet time person because I'm just, you find that the busyness and the things of the day, you just can't get them out of your mind. And so when you start the day that way, that really works for me. But listen, whatever it is, whether it's night or whether it's you know, in the middle of the day, take time to just sit and be quiet before the Lord. Um, what do I do? First thing in the morning, I'll grab a cup of coffee. I, I've, I've come to love this time so much, Lord. It is, is the best part of my whole day. I sit quietly in a dark room. I get the phone away from me. Okay, no texts, no emails, um, no media. My goodness, if you want to quench the spirit, just start reading media, right? Okay, get all that stuff away from you. No news, no social media, no text. Get that away from you. Or at least, you know, I listen, I, I know some of us, you, you have a quiet time and you got, you got to look at the time a little bit because you got to get going. Bring a watch in with you or put your phone on airplane mode so it's not binging you all the time, you know, to, to get going. And just listen to his voice. What are we doing? We're getting in step. We're getting in synchronization with the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.16 says this. Paul says this, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Isn't that a cool promise? When you walk by the Spirit, you walk in union, walk in step with the Holy Spirit, 
you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Um, Verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. We all need this love, joy, peace, patience, good uh, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and the desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Okay, We need to take each day to deny ourselves daily, take up our cross and follow him. And in our quiet times, that's where we synchronize ourselves with the Holy Spirit. And he gives you strength in your inner man. Strength to face the day. Strength for the decisions you have to make. And he will speak to you about situations that you're going through. If you have things you're trying, decisions you're trying to make, he will speak to you and he will just drop those little, those things in your heart. Amen? Now, this can be tricky because we all have the pressures of life coming at us, right? The pressures and the things. And it takes time to, to that margin to step away and just quiet ourselves and allow the Lord to just speak to, our, speak to us. This takes some discipline because pressures mount up and things are coming at us, aren't they? And I have a video to illustrate this as well. So go ahead and roll that video. what happens when you weigh on the Lord. Hold and you stab a horse. Just stay there. Hold. I know you got to go. I know you got pressures. I know you got things going on, but just hold there. Let the Lord speak to you. Amen. Amen. Why don't y'all stand on your feet? I'm going to pray. Isaiah 40, 29 through 31. He gives power to the faint. How many need power? And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness towards us. Lord, I pray that we would learn as a church the art of waiting before you, the art of just coming in and letting your sweet, tender voice speak to our hearts, Lord. Help us to follow you in every area of our life. We love you and we thank you for today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen.